Welcome back, welcome back guys, episode 56 is it? Episode 56, sugar, we're getting not much love to all the loyal listeners out there coming back for another episode of Two in the Tackle, episode 56, much love, um, you know, tonight, tonight's episode or today, whenever you're listening to it, whether it's in the morning, night, evening, it doesn't really matter really, uh, that's the beauty of the podcast, in your own time, whenever you're ready. Nah, no, no, just joking. But seriously, we're going to go over Alex Volkanovsky. We'll talk about some of the referees and the roosters, obviously. It's State of Origin this week or next week or whenever it is. Anyway, much love. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Right, are we back? We're back. Um, episode 56. I can't believe it's 56. Um... We're going to kick off the show as we normally do every single week. Real quick, two front rows to score tries this week. Uh, Nelson Asafa Solomona for the Melbourne Storm against Manly. Almost in a comeback. I actually thought that was going to be the last try of the match. I started preparing my little speech around it, but ended up scoring a couple more after that as well, which is pretty... Made it for an interesting finish there in that, that game between Melbourne and Manly. Um, and then the other front rower, Mama Rooster's greatest players. See you Tokyo. Um, so yeah, it's his last season there, so it's good for him to get over. No, nobody, not sorry, no other front rowers got over. So it wasn't the best week for try scorers as front rowers, but obviously they lay platforms this week. They lay platforms every single week. It doesn't really matter what week it is, what game it is. They're gonna be laying platforms. You know, they they lay the foundation for us to have a game to watch. So thanks to the front rowers there, big big appreciation. Uh, but another appreciation that I want to sort of go down is uh, two of Australia's greatest ever sports people. And we're going to start off with Alex Volkanovsky. Um, down there from the Shoal... Is it the Shoalhaven? Would you say the Shoalhaven? Or would you say the Illawarra? Or whatever it is. We all know it's down there. Wollongong? Could you just say Wollongong? I'm going to say Wollongong. It's not Wollongong exactly. But if you if he was in Bali, say he was a no-name, and he goes to Bali, and they say, where are you from? But he's wherever he's from. Gorilla or something. The, the, um, I'm not sure. But he's, he's from down here, like, near Kayama type of thing. But if you go to Bali, or you go to America, or you go overseas, and you say you're from Kayama, they're not going to know. So big chance, if they meet someone who's not from Australia, you'll probably say Sydney, just to give them the area. But if you meet someone from Australia, but not New South Wales, he'll say Wollongong. If you meet someone from New South Wales, then you'll probably have a stab and say Kayama, because there's a good chance that they might have heard it. But yeah, if you if you're not from around, um, just more specific, sorry, more vaguely, uh, we'll just say Wollongong. Anyway, from down there, from the Illawarra, uh, defended his title for the fourth time or fifth time. He's done it twice to Holloway. He done it once to Ortega, and he did it with that Korean Zombie. So that's four defenses, but he's beaten. He's beaten Max three times. As we all know, everyone knows the story between Volkanovski, but it's the fact that, you know, currently, or when I was a little bit younger, there used to be all this talk about Jeff Fennick, and there still is a lot of talk about Jeff Fennick as one of Australia's greatest boxers. Since Tim Zoo's risen, there's this all, all, uh, this recall of Costa Zoo, and then when George Cambosis, you know, uh, won three of the four titles, was it, in the last year? Uh, he's obviously going to be thrown in that same category as, as those two Australian boxers. And Alex Volkanovsky, 
he will be referred to in the MMA world, in Australian MMA, forever now. You know, um, was he the first champion or was he the second? I think he was Australia's second UFC champion. Um, but he's definitely been Australia's best champion. Um, and he's just so, um, so solid, so consistent, so consistent. And he does, he, they say he fights out of city kickboxing, but he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He has an affiliation with them. Uh, they help him. I think they even corner him, uh, I think. But he, he lives in Wollongong. And city kickboxing is based in Auckland. So he doesn't, he doesn't train there all, all year round. I think he may, at best, before COVID, I'm pretty sure he'd only go there for the, 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 the lead into the fight. Not even the start of camp, the lead into the fight. Most of the camp he's done in his, in his own gym. So uh, the reason why I say that is I don't actually know the name of that gym. And that's disappointing that Australians don't actually know the name of the gym that he fights out of. Well, maybe some Australians do, but the regular Australian sporting fan doesn't know, and I don't think that's enough credit to the Australian community because not only has Volkanovski got a uh, world title, but Robert Whitaker won a world title as well. So, um, and I don't even know his gym. So, it's about trying to maybe get a little bit more recognition to these MMA fighters or these athletes, these Australian athletes, because they're actually killing it on the world stage. Now, um, I'm not sure if you know. Probably most of the people that are listening do have some sort of understanding, but if you don't, with Volkanovski. He's actually knocked off, prior to Volkanovski taking the title, there were two fighters considered the best ever in that weight division. First it was Jose Aldo, and then it was Max Holloway. Now, I only really started watching MMA or UFC as Con- as Connor rose to ranks as he did. And so I never really got to appreciate Jose Aldo. I never really got to see what made him so effective or so dominating or so good. So, and then the moment that Conor McGregor knocked him out, he was never really the same again. I don't know how many fights he won after that, uh, but he did lose to, obviously, Holloway, and he lost to, and Volkanovski beat him as well on his road to fighting Holloway in the end. And then when he beat Holloway, Australia went nuts. Everyone thought it was a fluke. Everyone thought it was a fluke. I think he won convincingly the first round. It wasn't. It wasn't that he was uh, controversially won the first fight. He won it convincingly, but I'm not willing to go down. I should have done some homework, but I'm not willing to go down and say he won five zip like he did in the most recent fight. The second fight, though, I don't think again he gets enough credit for. A lot of people say that that fight was stolen off Max. Um, Max deserved to win it, but. I think it was the next day after that fight, I listened to Daniel Cormier, or Cormier, or however you pronounce it, and he was the one who actually shone light on actually the performance that actually Volkanovski had in that fight. He was down two rounds to zero going into the third round. One more round and he's gone. So he knew he had to obviously win the rest of the rounds, but he actually had to change up the fight. And in that first fight, he managed to nullify Max's striking game by that front leg kick, by that, or that low calf kick. Sorry, not a front leg kick, that low calf kick. But I was, he was trying to get Max's front leg. And he managed to nav- um, nullify Max in the first one. In the second one, Max adjusted. 
Now, I didn't watch this last one, but this is the one I'm getting at. I'm getting at the second one. Max adjusted to, to not allow um, that same thing to happen. So he, within the fight, he managed to realise that he had to just get the first round. And in that, the third round, he managed to get a takedown. So that third round was the round that was up for question. He managed to get a takedown. And that seemed to have been enough to give the, the, for the judges to give him that round. And then the fourth and the fifth round, everyone was happily... Uh, confident enough or happy enough to let him have those two rounds. It was the third round that was the the um, the round in question. And so, you know, I biasly probably thought Volkanovski um, won it, but that would have been bias. If anything, I, I do remember thinking back and I might have said Halloway probably won that third round at the time, you know, like not after the fight. Um, but on the inside, I really wanted to say that Volkanovski won it. And I think that was a little bit biased. Um, but it, if the three judges all gave it to him, then it wasn't that biased, was it? It was accurate. Um, but since that fight, Halloway had been saying he was robbed, he was robbed, he was robbed. All these fans out there saying he was robbed, he was robbed, he was robbed. Whereas I'm being sitting back, watched, thinking about it. He won the first one convincingly, and he won the second one just. It doesn't matter if... He, if he just won it, he won it. So that's two zip. And then he bloody uh, beats Ortega, then he beats the zombie. They end up having to go back and do a trilogy, a so-called trilogy. But like, as Daniel Cormier says, how do you get a, a rubber match or what they call a rubber match when you've already lost the two? In America, that's what they call it. Makes no sense. But how do you get a third when you've lost the first two? Well, Max apparently gets a third and he come and all fucking guns blazing like he's going to kill him and then the presses and all that stuff. But that's just the Hollywood of it all. The Hollywood Holloway, as they say. No, I just made that up. But um, <clears throat> sorry, also, yeah, I feel like I'm losing my voice here. I don't know what's happened. So I do apologise if it's a little bit husky. Uh, but yeah, I don't even know what's happened. But Volkanovsky, not only he beat Jose Aldo, maybe passed his prop. Three times he's been a Max Holloway, who they considered the greatest featherweight of all time. This guy's beat him three times. He spent over an hour in the cage with this guy. In the most recent performance, um, I think I think Australians first heard it with, with Devin Haney, pitched a shutout. That's what they're referred to it now. Pitching a shutout, which is, is a pretty um, you know, impressive type of victory when you can win all five rounds. But not only just win all five rounds, you've won all five rounds against an opponent who's considered the greatest of all time in that weight class. Um, and everyone else thinks that that other guy is actually better than you. And so now we've got this Alice Volkanovsky. We look back in 20, 30 years' time, or we look ahead in 20, 30 years' time, and we've got new up-and-coming MMA fighters uh, fighting in the UFC, and we'll always refer back to Alex Volkanovsky. They'll, you know, they'll bring out Volkanovsky to all these fights, all these events. New South Wales had him. So... You know, sports fans re- recognise it, but I think he he needs a bigger, more recognition. You know what I mean? Um, because he's got to go down as Australia's greatest ever MMA fighter. And I can't see anyone really overtaking that in Australia because, you know, they might be able to equal it, you know, unless they get three weight classes or two weight classes. Like, I just find it very hard that 
is ever going to overtake it. Now, maybe it's because MMA isn't that big a sport in Australia that he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. Um, but you look at New Zealand. Israel Adesanya, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, got athlete of the year. Whereas he, we don't even know the gym that he fights out of. How's he going to get an athlete of the year in Australia? Um, so yeah, I think he needs a little bit more recognition. Another person I feel like may need a little bit more recognition. She has previously got it, but I don't think she gets the credit for enough either. Is Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson, she's come back out of retirement to represent the Opals. I think they're going for a World Cup this year or next year. But it's not necessarily the, the comeback story. It's the fact that she's been... She would be Australia's greatest ever basketball player, or female basketball player. And I'll refer back to her forever and ever, just like we refer back to Margaret Court. Um, for some reason, I, I feel like I always have to call her Margaret Court Arena as well. But I, that's not actually her name. Her name is just simply Margaret Court. Um, it's pretty cool that she was a tennis player, and then they named her Court after her as well. So, anyway. Um, Margaret, we always refer to Margaret Court when it comes to tennis. Um... And in basketball, they're always going to refer back to Lauren Jackson. And, you know, she was 17 years old when she first debuted for the Australians, or what do they call it, the Opals. And she remained at the top of the game. She didn't have any children, so that probably, or biological children, or, sorry, she didn't give birth to any children that I know of anyway. Um, so she was able to continually play at the top level. Uh, I think she played both, you know, she'd play... A season in America, and then she'd play the season in Australia, and then go back. I think I know she did that every year, but I know she did it quite often. Um, Apologise if I'm wrong there as well, but I'm pretty sure she did do that. Um, and it's the fact that she managed to do it with so much grace as well. She didn't necessarily, you know, flood the tabloids. She didn't blame anyone else for all her mishaps in her life. <laughs> and I just think she's an Australian, a great Australian sports person that um, I'd like to recognise. Maybe she has got a, uh, enough recognition in her career. Maybe she, I don't think she has, but maybe she has. But I'd just like to recognise her on my show. You know, this is the media to tackle. As I get to recognise who I want to recognise. And Lauren Jackson's one of them. Um, so yeah, they're two athletes that I think are good examples for Australian sports stars to sort of try and, um, you know, strive to be like. Both on and off the field. Um... Because, yeah, I think Alex Volkanovsky is a, is a great role model. I really do. Um, he talked about how they booed him and he just tried to transition the boos to positive energy or screams from Australia. Because when he comes back here and he fights here, it's going to go off. It's got to go off. And maybe a fight in Australia might actually help with the recognition of it. Uh, because, you know, as well as George Cambosis did to achieve what he achieved. In a different sport, Alex Volkanovsky has, has achieved the equivalent, if you ask me. Yeah. That's enough about those two. We've got on to the main reason why people tune into the show. That's rugby league, rugby, rugby, rugby league. Um, obviously, the refs probably took the limelight for most of this weekend. Uh, the match against the Rooster, was there a shocker in the Manly game? Not that I recall, probably was, but not that I recall. But obviously, the big there was two big shockers. The first one was the penalty to Verrills. That was the first one, and then the second one was the the six again call in the Dragons Raiders game late in the match. Now we go start with Verrills. With the Verrills tackle, 
I could, oh, actually, there was another one. It was in the Parramatta South game that got completely overlooked. No one even brought it up, which is ridiculous. We'll get to it. Sam Ferrells, he goes, makes the tackle. Everyone goes tackle. He's on his ass, falls over. The guy who's tackled comes over the top of him and obviously, just like maths, really, he's gone past horizontal. And the referee just sort of like, because there's so much shit going on in their brains, he just saw past horizontal and just blew a penalty. The wrong decision, the wrong call. But I can, I can, as a spectator, as a fan of the game, I can see what he got confused by there. Now, if he was to watch it back again, he'd probably think the same thing. That was a dumb call as everyone else. But he was live at the moment and he just made that call on that. The next one is worse. Josh, no, Isaiah uh, uh, Papali'i for the Paramount Eagles goes to put pressure on... Elias, Ilias. I don't know his first name, sorry, Ilias. And he pushes him, and that warrants a penalty. He pushed him. They're saying he pushed him, he didn't attempt to make a tackle. But he doesn't, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to tackle him. See, since when, since when do they tell Defenders, how they can tackle. That's the coach's job. He pushed it. He's kicking the ball. He pushed it. Like, well, like it's a, it's fucking rugby league. I'm sorry for swearing, but it's rugby league. Like, you're trying to hurt each other. And he pushed it. He just pushed it. He wasn't actually even trying to hurt him. So we're in a game where you're actually trying to hurt each other within the rounds of the rules. He didn't even try and hurt him. He went to put pressure on him, got close, and just shoved him because he was right there. Now, they say that he wasn't making an attempt to the tackle. You actually have to try and make a tackle. Well, he was making an attempt to the tackle. That's how he decided to tackle him. But let's say that you're not allowed to push him. Okay, let's just say you're not allowed to push him anymore. Last year, Origin, can't remember what game it was. Everyone talked about how great of a try saver Turbo was. When the winger went in to score the try and he could just pushed it. Now when wingers go into the try line at the corner, all they need to do now is just jump into the try line with the ball down because they can't, they can't touch it. You can't touch it. Because how are you going to tackle a guy who's in the air? One, he's in the air, you can't tackle him. And even if you're allowed to tackle him, how are you going to tackle him? He's in the air. So now you have to jump and you have to like, you have to use your arms but you can't put your arms forward because you, you're not going to make the tackle. You, you could almost go try and catch him. So what they do when they're going into the corner, they push him to try and push him out. But you can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore, apparently. Apparently, because Isaiah Papali pushed Ilias. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that. I forgot it, to be honest. Well, I've got to try. I've got to get it. I've got to get it. What is it? Hang on. Sorry. It's rude of me. Where are we going? Where is it here? Lineups, halfback. His last name, Lachlan. Lachlan Ilias. That's easy. So just push him. Like, it's absurdity. Like, that is worse than Sam Verrills. Everyone's talking about Verrills, Verrills, this, Verrills, that. Robbo come out, had a cry about it. I'm sick of blaming the refs, but... Because that's not what we lost, by the way. We lost because Penrith are too bloody good for us. Um, a few calls that have gone away, but fuck, they're better than us. Um... 
But Sam Farrell's one. You can you can justify what happened. He he reacted to a guy going past horizontal, and he thought that guy was gonna um went you know was spear tackled. That's just what he thought at the time. But like when he pushed someone, like you've just decided to blow the penalty because why? Because you thought it was gonna be late. I don't even know. I'm guessing because he thought it was gonna be late. Because he thought it was going to be hard. Because he thought it was going to be a shoulder charge. Like what? What is it? I've never, ever, ever heard of pushing not allowed. I've never heard this. If this is a, is this is if this is an old thing, or a new thing, please tell me. But I've never heard of this. Pushing is not allowed. Since when? Um, and so that was actually worse than the San Veros call. Um, so on the t- they were two shockers. Then it, now we're going to go. I'm going to talk about the um, the Raiders and the Dragons match. Sorry, I'm just trying to think. Raiders and Dragons match. Now I didn't actually watch this point of the game, but I know exactly the scenario. I've heard it all day on on the radio. That's another thing I actually wanted to touch on. I, don't, I try to avoid listening to the radio until I do the show. I try and avoid watching all the shows because I don't want to try and get my opinion infiltrated by other people. By, you know, people I respect like Joel Kay, um, or even just fans or whatever. I, do, I just want to be able to get my uh, point of view out without it being influenced by other people. But sometimes I think listening to those shows actually helps stimulate this me putting together a bit of you know a podcast, um, and it also just helps me understand. I wouldn't wouldn't have really known about this thing either, but it, it's something that I've always I've probably said from the start. I actually like the six again, but it shouldn't be a set in stone rule of where it's allocated and where it's not allocated. It should be allocated across the whole field, from trial on to trial on, um, because as one. Listener sent in today to SEN 1170. He said, we harp on about the referees refereeing the game at the beginning of the game as the same as they would at the end of the game. And that's what he, and that's a, that's a fair point. That is a good point, right? And if at the beginning of the game, two metres out from, or 42 metres out from the uh, Raiders trial line, they would have awarded Ben Hunt a... And it was in the first half, they would have awarded a six again than what Ben Hunt did. Correct? And just because it's a minute to go in the game, you know, according to this guy, it's a fair point. But if you actually had it, that a ref at times could call six again, or at times could call a penalty, you would actually be able to allow the referee there to make a call, just like Ashley Clark did. He was blowing six again, six again, was wasn't blowing. He was waiting six again, six again, six again. And then he finally had enough. He blew one penalty and sent it to the bin. And as I said last week, you normally get a warning in there. But he just drew a line in the sand. He made a call. And he made a call based on what was happening in the game. And that's what these refs need to be able to do. Yes, it's going to create more inconsistency. And as fans, we're going to be blown up about, oh, but this one wasn't, and this one was, and why wasn't this one, and why wasn't that one? That's just going to be done with. We just have to accept that there's going to be 
variances and there's got to be inconsistencies when it comes to refereeing because the game is, is a little bit different. Every game is different. Every referee is different. Every person is different. Every scenario is different. And the referees are good referees. Are, they're, they're good referees. Like, um, we just scrutinise every little shit thing that they do. Every little shit thing that they do. Whereas if we just give them the power, play on, we give them give the captains the challenges, so then the responsibility is back in their hands. You know, we take it and let the referees just call the game. Just let the referees call the game. Um, I did say, I think I said last week that, you know, the bunker should be able to call on four passes. But that's under the pretenses it is now. If, I, what I'm saying is, I don't get how they can't call on four passes, yet we can all see, we all know it's forward by watching the replay. That's all I was getting at. But with this one, anyway, let's just, Cam Smith, it's it's great as well. Cam Smith had a different opinion to Matt, Matty Johns. Now, it's not like they suck each other off or anything. It's that everyone sucks off Matty Johns. And I just think he's, you know, don't take it the wrong way. I just think he's a little bit overrated. You know, he's obviously got good insight. He has an understanding of the game. I just think he's overrated. And it was I was so glad to hear this morning Cam Smith saying, no, oh, I want to scrap the six again. Get rid of it. I think it's silly. Thinks it's bad for the game. Not bad for the game, sorry. He just doesn't think it's as good as what it used to be. It's just a general rule, penalty, penalty, penalty. Um, whereas, if they have the option, let the referees have the option. Why can't they? Why can't they? So then in that instance, when he knows that Ben Hunt is deliberately giving away a penalty, because, or sorry, not a penalty, a six again, because the punishment is better than by obeying the rules, that's when you need to increase the punishment. And if you know he's doing it on purpose, just like you know he's doing it on purpose when a guy makes a break and you and you they've laid on them and laid on them and laid on them and you've made a call. You know, everyone recognises that scenario. Why can't you recognise the scenario where Ben Hunt's getting out of market too early? Or purposely giving away a penalty or purposely finding them offside. You know what I mean? Or purposely laying on it on the play the, on the guy playing the ball on your trial line to make sure the rest of your team can get set, even if that means you're giving away another three or four tackles. Because you'd rather a set defensive line for nine tackles than an, a scrambled defensive line for one or two. That's just maths, bro. That's just maths. Um so on your trial line. So yeah, I just think the referees should be able to have a little bit more freedom with that six again. Now, you know, I said, I didn't say inside the 40. I don't know who come up with inside the 40. Somebody in. Why the 40? Why the 40? Why not the 35? Because there's a line at the 40? Look, why the 40? What makes the 40 the number? So it shouldn't be that. It should be the ref's call, like on first tackle. First, second tackle. You know what I mean? First or second tackle. I don't care where it is. Fucking pin them. Pin them. Pin them. They're doing that on purpose. You know what I mean? If, there's, if they're up by two points, if they're up by two points, and they're 30 out, and they're in the middle of the field, they give away a purpose six again. Penalty. Just make a call, man. 
Make a call. They've got to bag you if you do the right thing or you do the wrong thing. So do what you think is right. Fuck sakes. Um, sorry, I've fucking spoken too much about referees. Um, I'm not able to get on to the Roosters. Roosters are dying straight at the moment. They're sitting in 10th position. They're two wins outside the top eight. Um, with the Dragons. I think it's the Dragons. Yeah, the Dragons are sitting in 8th place. South is sitting in 7th place. Manly is sitting in 9th place. And the Roosters are sitting in 10th. It's tough. It's going to be a tough finish of the season. We've we've got through that hard 7 period, that, um, that 7 weeks of doom. <clears throat> it was tough. We got through that with a win against Cronulla, a win against Parramatta, and a win against... No... We lost to Canberra, didn't we? Fuck! We needed to win three of the four because two of them was against two of them was against Panthers, so we scrubbed those two out. One was against Melbourne, scrubbed that out. So we needed to win one against Cronulla, one against Canberra. We needed to win both those, and we needed to get one of the two matches that we're playing against Parramatta. We had two games against Parramatta, but uh, we only got one of those. Oh, did we beat the Raiders? No, we didn't. Yeah, we do it because fucking hell, Ricky Stewart always gets me. Um, so yeah, we're in a tough, tough uphill battle. We got a bye this week, so that'll give us two points. So I don't think you should get points for buys. It just confuses me when I look at the draw, when I look at the table. Um, so yeah, this week it's a split round. So we've got the bye, and then we've got the dragons. Oh, you know, they're ahead of us. So they're gonna be a hard game. Then the knights. All right, so. Then Manly. Oh, actually. And then the Broncos. And then the Panthers. No, 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 that's not us. That's not us. And then after oh, the Cowboys. Oh, shit. Shit. So, we've got a nice little couple of games here. If we can string these two, three games together. String these two, three games together would be in a better position. Obviously, obviously. Uh, but it could give us a little bit better. Now, the thing is, the moment we played against the Panthers was fucking spectacular. That's spectacular, but I feel like we've, we've we've shown, like, you know, what we're made of against some of those better teams. But that loss to the Bulldogs, that loss to Canberra, the loss to Parramatta, the loss to fucking all these teams that we shouldn't be losing to. I think we lost on Anzac Day to the Dragons. You know what I mean? These are costly losses that puts us in a position where we sit in 10th. You know what I mean? And we can put on a performance that we did against Panthers... We didn't even do that against everyone else. Not against the Panthers. We'll give the Panthers the performance we did against the Bulldogs, man. Fuck it up. Anyway, so we'll have to fire back up. Robbo's never lost more than nine games in a season. Uh, sorry, he's only lost nine or more games. Once. That was 2016. So, uh, no, sorry. He's only lost more than nine games in a season once. 2016. Now, I'm pretty sure we finished top four most of the time, haven't we? No, last year we finished top, finished outside the top four. So, a few years ago, he actually said that not making a prelim is a failure in the eyes of the Roosters. I personally didn't agree with that, right? But if he's to say that, 2020 didn't make the prelim. 2021 didn't make the prelim. 2022, doesn't look like we're going to make the prelim. Three failures in a row. I don't, like, I don't agree that 
not making the prelims a failure. Not making the prelim during your window is a failure, but our window isn't wide open at the moment. It's only slightly ajar because we're the so-called roosters. We do have the two best players in the competition right now as well, though, but... Uh, yeah, we just we just aren't playing well enough. I still, like I said, I think I've said this a thousand times, our four-pack just isn't as strong as it used to be. So that'll take time to build. I look at the four-pack, we've got players like uh, Egan Butcher, who's promising. I think Ty- Tyrell May has been signed back to the Panthers. Uh, we've let go of Saluka Fafita, effective immediately as of today. Um, who else do we have up and covered? Not sure. Not sure. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're building. We're building. Um, what did I want? There was something else I did want to touch on. Was it to do with the Roosters? Joe Money. Joe Money. I've been saying previously, what what is Robert going to do with Joe Money? What's he going to do? Well, I think he might be giving us an insight now. If he's going to. If he's going to stay, I don't think he's going to stay. Personally, I don't think he's going to stay. I'd love him to stay. It'd be awesome for the Roosters if he does stay. But I think he's going to have to move to 5-8. Because he played... Oh, not even. No, I don't even think he needs to move to 5-8. I take that back. I take that back. Because the way that he played is he played as he normally plays. He plays as he normally plays. Give me the football. He actually played like he played for New Zealand, to be honest. He got out of half a lot. You know, he got into the middle, he asked for the ball a lot more. And I suppose, like, just because you get told you're playing 5'8", you're allowed to do that. He's been doing that all year. Just give me the footy. He's really found his mojo this year, to be honest. Like, he was good last year, and he was good the year before that. But this year, he's actually gone up another level. <coughs> Excuse me about that. Also, I have to talk about State of Origin. So, New South uh, Queensland, typical Queensland. Kafusi out. Um, you know, much sending prayers and thoughts to his family in the United States. He's gone, Kafusi's out. And typical Queensland. They move the guy who's from the bench, who was the back row on the bench, goes straight to the starting team. And then the group of guys that they have just sitting in the worms, one of them's come through now. This morning, uh, I think Cam Smith knew it was going to be Tommy Gilbert because he mentioned his name. He's on the coaching staff and he mentioned his name, but to try and throw off the scent, he said, oh, there is Tom Flinder as well, but he doesn't have the versatility of playing edge and middle, whereas Tommy Gilbert, they believe, plays edge and has the ability to play middle. So yeah, all the edges can play middle these days anyway. And yeah, so he comes on to the bench, whereas you look at the New South Wales side, Jack Wyden from game one doesn't automatically go straight back into a starting position where he was. He is named an 18th man, which I a lot of people thought he was going to come in for Talakai, if anything, but he hasn't even come in for Talakai. And Jordan McLean, who wasn't in any of the games, has gone straight to starting. He's skipped the kick, gone straight to starting. Whereas if he was from Queensland, they would have pushed um, Polo up. Or who's the other front row? No, there's no other front row. It's Talakai, really. He's probably closer to a front row. Um, or or Regan Campbell-Gillard to start all on the bench and push Polo up. But they've gone with McLean, who wasn't even in the mix in the first two games. 
Well, he was in the mix, obviously he was in the mix, but he wasn't in the, the pipers or the tablets, so to speak. Uh, New South Wales, it looks like that Freddie, you know, once Latrell Mitchell ruled himself out, it made it easier for Freddie, it just meant we're just going to stick with the same team. If, if Latrell didn't rule himself out, there's a sh- who knows, but there's a possibility he could have played on the right. They could have dropped Crichton back to the 80th man, maybe, or to the bench. Who knows? Who knows with Freddie? Seriously, he does he does do some strange things, but he does some successful things, which is more important, more accurate as well. Um, so, Queensland, they're going to be better. They'll be at Suncorp, which will make them rise. Uh, the crowd will be interesting, but... It's it's the it's now considered the holy grail of rugby league or holy grail of New South Wales rugby league. The biggest achievement of the New South Wales rugby league player is to win a decider or a game three decider. I'm pretty sure it's a decider. Is a game three. Uh, some people call game two a decider for those of you playing at home, uh, but I think the game three deciders is an actual decider. And can a New South Wales or a New South Wales halfback or New South Wales in general? Winner game three to Sider up there at Suncorp. We've had many a chances, many of opportunity. Uh, 2020 was an example. Uh, 2012, the, the Cooper Cronk field goal was an example. There could have been some others else in there as well, but this is really the second best opportunity. The best opportunity was 2020, let's be real. Uh, but this is our... You know, we did get that done, so this will be an opportunity to go down in Origin football. Now, last year they had a chance to go down as the greatest Origin team in history. They missed that. This year they're going to go down in the greatest New South Wales team since Andrew Johns in 2005. So, big, big, uh, you know, I can't see, I honestly, honestly, can't see anything changing from game two other than the Queensland not breaking. So I think New South Wales are going to win. I think they're going to be too too clinical again. I think Cleary, I think the forward pack understand what they need to do. I think Cleary can visualise what he needs to do. And that's why they haven't actually touched the back line. They actually haven't touched that back line because they're all in it. They all know what they're going to do. They all know the game plan. I can't pinpoint, I can't identify exactly what the game plan is. Um, but it's... It worked, in, it worked in game one and I just feel like... I'm sorry, game two, and I just feel like they're going to be able to execute it again. Um, Munster, you know, this, this isn't a big call really, but Munster is going to be a lot better from game two in game three. He's going to run the ball a little bit more. Now, to, to nullify, and this is the age-old saying, to nullify Munster, to... To disarm his running game, to handicap it, as David Haney refers to it as, you have to shut down their forwards. Now, the Queenslanders, they've gone with Josh Papali'i. They've shown faith. Previously, when they've shown faith to a, 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 an ageing prop or an ageing forward or an ageing front row for Queensland, he's... he's um, He's rewarded the faith, as you could say. But this time, now, you know, I suppose it is another, it's next week, and there's a 
game of footies this weekend. But if the New South Wales press can lay off him and not put too much pressure on him or not wake the beast or wake the dragon, we might find another poor performance out of Papali and that could cost them. I honestly feel as though he's their weak link. He was offered 20 minutes and it wasn't until he went off that Carrigan managed to swing the tide back to their way. And in the second game, he was offered 16 minutes. 16 minutes. Remembering. The thing that got them through that first game was the fact that Cotter didn't come off the field. So it allowed them an extra rotation. That's two. Two interchanges. Because it's the one for him to come off and then the one for him to go back on. He didn't want. He didn't take any of them. And Carrigan didn't come back off. Normally, he, normally the bench player will go on, will come off. So those two didn't. So they only used the one between the two of those, which allowed seven interchanges for three or four other players. Fresher. Now, if we can apply pressure on Papali early, get him off early, and already mix with the rotation, that's where I feel like we're able. We're going to be able to get the upper hand on them in the forwards. If Papa Lee has a big performance and he manages to push past that 20-minute mark and he actually gets gets on top of us and allows Munster to run the ball, then it could be a different story. So I actually think the performance of Papa Lee is going to dictate the result of this match. And if we can actually make him uh, break or, you know, be caught out and not be at it anymore, we'll win the game. Anyway, that's enough out of me tonight. Much love to all of you guys listening out there. Peace, love, and ecstasy. Tell a friend. Tell a friend to tune in. Why not? You may as well. You know, what have they got to lose? 20 minutes, 40 minutes of their life? Nah, nah, nah. It's alright. It'll be a good 20 minutes. Best 40 minutes they've ever had. Anyway, um, you know, good luck to the players that are playing this weekend. We will get an episode in before the game, so I'll probably go a little bit more depth into the preview to the match um, and then I may depending on how I'm feeling or how much time I get might do a debrief after the game see how the game goes maybe nothing to talk about anyway much love to you all peace out be good to your mother father boyfriend girlfriend husband and wife and your kids latest peace we out of here